Zechariah chapter 1, please. And commence to read in verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 1. In the eighth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I'll turn to you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. I saith the Lord, Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, According to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for this, your word. We thank you for the privilege we have of coming together in this place. We do pray that, Lord, you bless our time in your word this night. We pray, Father God, that our attention would be turned unto you. Father, we would acknowledge you and that, Lord, we would learn from you. I pray that you give me wisdom from on high, that, Lord, I might uh, speak your word in truth. And tonight, uh, all that we would hear is your word and not the words of a man, and that, Father, you would indeed just take me and use me uh, for your glory. Bless our time now in your word this night, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Zechariah is undoubtedly one of the least known books of the Bible. And it's often been passed over because it's considered to be very difficult to interpret. Perhaps that's because of the visions that are found in this book. But here in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, we have what it serves as an introduction to the book for us and the visions of the book which are about to follow. The first part of the prophet's message is a solemn exhortation that they would learn from history. They would learn from the past. They would learn from the experiences of their forefathers. They had stubbornly refused to heed the appeal of the prophets of old in the past and who had uh, in vain pleaded with them to turn to their God. And here in the first six verses, the prophet spells out for us God's prerequisite for spiritual Blessing, God's prerequisites for spiritual blessing. And these prerequisites are a must for all of us. And they must be true in our lives if we receive the spiritual blessings from the Lord. First, there is a need to repent. A need to repent. Look at verses 2 and 3. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I'll turn to you, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, the prophet's very first words, as he, after the introduction's finished, as we've been told who he is, and who he's the son of, and about his grandfather Idu, the very first words of the prophets are startling in their uh, directness, and startling enough, if you like, to rivet the attention of those listening. He says, the Lord, in verse 2, the Lord hath been sore, sore displeased with your fathers. The idea here is, with great displeasure, was the Lord displeased with your fathers. He makes it abundantly clear as he starts this prophecy that the Lord had not been happy with the forefathers of the nation of Israel. Israel had sinned against their God. And as a result of their sin, They'd been doomed to exile. You know the story about how the Assyrians came and took the northern kingdom away captive in 722 B.C. Then in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes down and he, and he 
uh, uh, goes into the city of Jerusalem and he totally destroys the city, he burns the gates, and he leads the nation of Israel away into captivity into Babylon. Zechariah warns the people here that he's writing to to remember what has happened in the past because the same could happen to them if they fail to turn to their God. You know, this was something that they uh, need to watch out for, that they didn't get caught up the same way their forefathers had done, and they turned their back upon their God. You know, they'd seen the proof of God's judgments before their very eyes. Uh, they knew where they've come from. They've come out of uh, Babylon. They knew what had happened to their forefathers, especially in the 70 years of captivity that they'd just come out of. Now the Lord uses history to warn them to learn, that they might learn from the past, that they might learn from the mistakes of their forefathers, that they wouldn't make the same mistakes. Now, one thing we need to remember about who Zechariah is writing to is these people aren't bad people. They were the remnant that's returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people went into Babylon as captives. And only about 50,000 of them returned. And those who did return from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and that's the setting, remember, for this, the rebuilding of the temple. The temple had started being built. It had come to a cessation of the work had stopped and uh, under Zerubbabel. And now at the time of Ezra, uh, we find Zechariah writing to challenge the people, along with Haggai writing to challenge the people to finish the job, to finish the building of the temple. And some 50,000 of them returned for that job of rebuilding the city and rebuilding the temple. And those who had returned, for the most part, were committed to the Lord and to the restoration of Jerusalem. These were the dedicated exiles who returned. These, these were good people. These were the ones who really had a love for the Lord, who really wanted to, to go back and to rebuild the temple. We've got to remember, the ones he's writing to here are not essentially bad people. They are the remnant who's returned. And yet even they, some 18 years after returning to the Promised Land, needed to be reminded, they needed to hear and to heed the warning of the Lord. You see, they had returned with zeal and enthusiasm. They had returned with, with passion. They had returned because of the love of God to rebuild the temple. But remember, because of the opposition, the work had stopped. And according to Haggai, they were now sitting in their houses that were complete. The ceilings were sealed. The, the walls were sealed. Their houses were looking beautiful. But the temple of God sat in ruin on the temple mound. The job was not complete. And so even though these people were genuinely uh, God-honoring, God-fearing people, these were the exiles returned, they need a reminding that if they are not careful, they too will suffer the consequence of their failure to turn to God as their forefathers had done before them. You know, there's a New Testament principle at work here. Look in 1 Corinthians, please, chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Let's go back a little bit and, and get a, a bit of the context here. In uh, uh, verse, uh, well, let's just read verse 11 and 12. That'll give us enough context. It says, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. So all the things that happened in the past were for our example. And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh, he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. So the principle of Zechariah is a very much a New Testament principle too. Remember the past, the writer of 1 Corinthians says. Remember what happened to them, because they, it happened to them for our examples. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come, and we need to be careful, those of us who think we stand, lest we fall. You see, it's easy 
even in the midst of serving God, for us to get our eyes off him and to fall away from him. And that's the danger here for these people who are back in the land. Eighteen years have passed as they return and the temple still has not been built. And God warns them to be careful because what happened to their fathers could equally happen to them. And so in verse 3 we read, Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn to you, saith the Lord of hosts. The point here is that although the Lord was angry with them, because of their uh, long, uh, as far as the fathers were concerned, their long disobedience and continued apostasies and provocations, their failure to serve him, the Lord had said unto them, turn unto me, and they had not. We read in this verse that his anger was turned away. Because he said, if they will turn unto me, I will turn unto them, saith the Lord of hosts. And he was ready to comfort them if they would turn to God with all their hearts. And here's the principle for the nation of Israel right now at the time. If they too would turn to God, God in turn would forgive them. Now the word turn here carries the idea of repent in verse 3. And he assures them that if they will turn back to him, then he in turn will turn to them he will forgive them as indeed with their fathers who after years of uh, of preaching as we'll see uh, of the prophets and uh, had caused god to be provoked and caused god to be brought to anger at the end of the day god still loved them and god forgave them and they were now in the land because of god who is a forgiving and loving god and they needed to realize that they too if they would just turn back to him now they would realize that they were wrong in not rebuilding and wrong in what, what they were doing. They turned back to him. God would forgive them and bless them. You know, the phrase Lord of hosts is mentioned four times in chapter 1. And here in verse 3, it's three of the times it's used. Where it says, Therefore say ye unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. And I'll turn to you, saith the Lord of hosts. The other time it's used in verse 4, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Three of the four times it's used, it's used in one verse. Because this is used here to emphasize the divine authority of the call to turn. This was not a man asking people to turn back to God, not a man asking people to repent and turn back to God. This was God himself calling upon his people to turn. There is a divine authority behind this call. And since there's divine authority behind the call, there is a certainty of the blessing which would follow the obedience. Because God said, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. And then he says, And I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Because God calls upon them to turn, the assurance of the blessing is guaranteed. You know, whenever God makes a promise... There is a guarantee the promise will be fulfilled. You know, when God says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, God means that, doesn't he? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If somebody is lost and dying on the way to hell and they recognize themselves as a sinner before our holy God and they call upon the name of the Lord, there is a guarantee thou shalt be saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and all those who by faith place their trust in Jesus Christ are saved. It's a guaranteed promise. And so it's true here, when, when God makes this promise unto them to return, if they would turn back to him, if they would repent, he will forgive. It's God's promise, and that promise is true even today. You know, when you and I come to God and we turn to him, he forgives us. First of all, he saves us, but as believers, isn't the promise true too? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The promise of God. If you and I will turn to God... In the midst of our sin, we'll turn to him and confess our sins. 
he in turn will forgive us. This is the promise of God. Now they were back in the land right now. Here in Zechariah chapter 1, they've been returned to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And they were there for the express purpose of rebuilding the temple. But they were settled as far as being in the land is concerned. But you know, it had not been an easy time. Because these 18 years, there have been adverse circumstances come upon them. And they had been discouraged in the midst of the work. In fact, they'd got to wondering why God seemed so far away. I mean, we can expect, we can we imagine the excitement, can't we, when, they, when those 50,000 return with the express purpose of rebuilding the temple. What an excitement that is. And ultimately rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the city. And I'm sure they went, when they left Babylon, they left with a spring in their step, an excitement, a real joy, and the thought of the prospect to return the land after 70 years in captivity. Some of these people had never seen Israel. And they're now going back to the land where their forefathers came from to see their homeland, to see the place whereby their uh, fathers and grandfathers were, were were born and lived and be able to go back and rebuild and I'm sure when they first started the work of building the temple there was an excitement about it because you know when, it, when anything's new when anything's fresh there's an excitement about it there's a joy about it there's something wonderful about something that's new but then things got tough there was an enemy out there that wouldn't leave them alone an enemy out there that pestered them and came down and took their crops and caused them to have adverse circumstances and they were discouraged and they wondered why God seemed so far away. The land was still desolate. <clears throat> After the 70 years of neglect, the land was barren. The work was hard to rebuild and restore the temple. They didn't have a lot of money. Go back with me to Haggai chapter 1, please. Haggai chapter 1. It says in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 6, You have so much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you have not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. You know, things were tough. They were sowing crops, but they weren't reaping much. Uh, they had little to eat. They didn't have enough. They drank, but they were not filled with drink. They were clothed, but they weren't warm. And any money they did make felt like they were sticking in their pockets and there was holes in their pockets. They were losing it as they walked down the streets. It was a pretty miserable time. Things didn't seem so crash hot in the midst of this place. Look in verse 10 of chapter 1 of Haggai. It says, therefore the heaven, it talks about the fact that there's a failure of crops and drought. It says, therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountain and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon the, that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. Things were pretty bad. The... the there was a crop failure. There was a drought. Not only that, but the hostile enemies resisted the work. Look in Ezra, please. Go back to the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 4. And begin to read in verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel unto the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your, work, your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto, the, unto him since the days of uh, Esarhaddon, uh, king of Assur which brought up us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said to them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto God, unto our God. 
but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counsels against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Things were pretty tough back in the land. These were people who were in the middle of God's will. <clears throat> These were the people in the midst of what God wanted them to do. They were following the Lord. These were good people. And they got themselves back to the land, and what they found was there was drought, there was famine, there was not enough food, there was not enough warm clothing, not enough water to drink, their pockets had holes in them, there was enemies that pursued them and put obstacles in their way all the time, till eventually they simply gave up because it was way too tough for them. And they remembered it was so much easier in Babylon. Now they were in captivity in Babylon, but at least in Babylon they had food and water and warm clothing and all the things that sustain life. And they certainly didn't have pesty enemies trying to overthrow them all the time. They were already in the hand of the enemy. They were captives. And as each of these circumstances made them feel that God was far away. And through Zechariah, God assures them that he is not distant. That he's not forgotten them. Just as surely when their fathers turned back to him, God forgave them. If they will now turn to him, he will indeed turn to them and will help them in the midst of their difficulties. If they would return to him, he would return to them. Turn ye, he says in verse 3, Therefore saith thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn to you, saith the Lord of hosts. Return unto me. God wants his people to turn back to him. You know, as I was reading this, it, 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 sometimes that's how we feel, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, we're in the midst of God's will and, and it seems like everything is against us. It seems like uh, the opposition is just very fierce. It seems like everything goes wrong and nothing goes right and everything just seems to be falling apart. And yet we think we're in the midst of God's will, but it doesn't seem right. And sometimes we quit, we give up, we throw up our hands. But God says, know this, if you'll just turn unto me, if you'll just trust me, I will deliver you in due time. God wants you and I to turn to him, to freely give him our love. So he prompts us to choose him and return to him, to draw close to him. Zechariah's words remind us of James chapter 4 and verse 8, which say, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh to you. God promises to meet us when we turn on him. In fact, the, the, the idea is that, you know, when we turn unto God, he will meet us running towards us when we return to him. Like the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal had turned away from his father and he went and lived riotously and then finally everything was gone. He woke up in the pig pen and said, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to go and ask him to be a servant. And on his way back, the father comes out to greet him. He comes running out and falls upon him and greets him and welcomes him back. And it's a picture of the father towards you and I. God just wants you and I to draw nigh unto him. God promises to meet us when we draw nigh unto him. This also serves to remind us that if we are far from God, he has... He hasn't distanced himself for us, from us. You know, when, when God feels far away, the problem is not that God has moved, it's that we have moved. See, for the nation of Israel, God had gone nowhere. God was there. God was willing and able to help them in the midst of their difficulties, but they turned their back upon God. 
So God says, turn back to me and I will be there. The same is true for you and I. If God seems far away, the problem is not that God's gone away. God is there. God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Isn't that his promise? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And lo, I am with you always. That's God's promise to you and to me. So if God seems far away, the problem is not God. The problem is us. We're the ones who have turned away from him, not him from us. And so we need to turn back to him. There was an elderly couple one day who, I read this story this week, I thought it was brilliant. There was an elderly couple one day who was driving down the road in their car. Uh, with the, in the front there was a bench seat. Don't make cars, too many cars bench seats anymore. There was a bench seat in the front. Husband was driving, the wife was sitting on the passenger side. And as they drove down the road, the wife noticed that many of the other cars with couples in the front seat, the uh, woman sat next to the man as he drove the car. And so she asked her husband, why is it that we don't sit close anymore? He simply answered, it wasn't me that moved. Well, that's true, isn't it, with God? If God seems far away, it's not because God's moved, it's because we've moved. We're the ones who have walked away from the presence of the Lord. And if we're far from God, we need to remember we just need to turn to him and he will turn to us and receive us back to himself. If we'd experience the blessings of God, then we must repent, we must turn unto the Lord, seek his face, confess our sin, and seek to obey his will, and he will forgive and return us to fellowship with him. The first step to spiritual blessing is that we must repent. Secondly, there is they, they must heed the warning, or we must heed the warning. Verses 4 through 6 be ye not as your fathers under whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my statutes, and my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servant, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. You know, the gracious invitation to return and the assurance that God will turn to them is followed by a warning. He says here in verse 4, Be not as your fathers. Don't be like them. Don't walk in the steps of your fathers. Don't act like they acted. The challenge is that they would not walk in the disobedience of their fathers. Eighteen years have passed as they have returned. The temple is in ruin and God says to them, Turn unto me and I will turn to you and learn from your fathers. Don't be like them. Don't walk in disobedience. Don't continually turn your back upon me. Don't continually walk away from me because if you do, the consequence will just as dire for you as it was for them. Because you see, if they don't turn back to God, and if they don't heed this warning, then they would incur the displeasure of God and the same punishment will be theirs. Verse 4 again, Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Now what we have here in these few verses is a kind of inspired resume of one part of the work of the former prophet and its result. The former prophets cried unto the people, says that there, unto whom the former prophets have cried. And what they cried is, don't fall into unbelief or disobedience like your forefathers did. Notice what it says in verse 4. Be not like as your forefathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn you now from your evil doings, and from your, uh, from your evil ways, and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. 
The four prophets cried unto the people to turn back to God. But they did not hearken the word of the prophets. They did not turn back to the Lord. They continued in unbelief. They continued in disobedience. And because they did, they suffered the consequence. And the four prophets cried unto them, calling them back unto God. We can read about this in Isaiah 55, Joel chapter 2, Amos chapter 5, Jeremiah chapter 3, Hosea chapter 7. Let's just go back to Joel and just look at one of these. Joel chapter 2, please. Joel chapter 2. Here is one of the four prophets crying unto the people. Joel 2 verse 12. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your hearts, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. They were called upon by God to turn. And that was true for many of the Old Testament prophets, as I said, Isaiah and Amos and Jeremiah and Hosea. They all offered the same call unto the fathers of these ones who have now, been re- have now returned. Prior to the 70-year captivity, God kept on calling to the children of Israel to turn, to repent, to turn away from their sin, turn unto God, to obey him. And the consequence of their failure to listen to him was 70 years of captivity in Babylon. They were taken away from their homeland. They were in exile as slaves in a foreign land. And each of these prophets preached repentance. Each of them preached, turn ye unto me. Turn and don't follow the steps of their fathers before them. But turn unto the Lord. And now in Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 4, he calls upon this generation, the new generation, the ones that return to turn unto him and not follow their forefathers' example so that they won't suffer the same consequence. Their constant cry of the prophets of old was to repent. But to all their cries, to all the prophets, Israel turned to their fear. Look at the end of verse 4. It says, But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. They continued to disobey. They continued to wander away from the Lord, further and further away from their God. And after this, they went to Babylon, thus inaugurating the time that's known in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the time of the Gentiles. And that time of the Gentiles, by the way, was still in today. Now here in Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 4, When the 70 years are over and the remnant returns, the message hasn't changed. It's still the same. Repent. Look at Malachi, please. Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, writing at a similar time as Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi writes this in verse 7. Of Malachi chapter 3 says, Even from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I'll return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, Wherein shall we return? Here is the same message. The prophets of old preached unto Israel, Return unto me, and I will return to you. And they rejected him, they went into captivity. The prophet now preaches to the those who have returned to the land and they've been there 18 years, he says, return to me and I will return unto you. Malachi repeats it later on and asks the same question. Turn to me. And by the way, at the end of Malachi, we end up with 400 silent years where God stops talking to his people because they did not return. They did not listen. You know, it's interesting that God's message never changes. He is still not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. He was not willing that any should perish, but all should be saved. 
The message of old, whereby God called upon his people to turn to him, was twofold. He wanted those who didn't believe in him to trust in him, those who were saved and trusting in him to turn back to him and follow him in obedience. The prophets of the day of the returned exiles to Babylon, the message was the same. God wanted those who loved him to turn back unto him and those who weren't saved to turn to him for salvation. It's interesting, you know, to note that after 400 silent years, the end of Malachi, there's 400 years where God does not speak publicly, openly to his people. That the first words that are spoken by God after the 400 silent years, and uh, uh, one of the first words, not the first words, but some of the first words that God speaks after 400 silent years are found in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Jesus Christ has come. And now he starts his earthly ministry. And notice what he preaches. Verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The prophets of old preached, Turn unto me. The prophets after the exile said, Turn unto me. After 400 silent years, Jesus Christ proclaims, Repent, turn unto me. You know what one of the first messages of the early church was? Repent. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And that's the kind of preaching that we find in Zechariah's day. It's the kind of preaching the early church preached, and it's the kind of preaching that we need today. People need to be challenged to turn unto God, don't they? The unsaved need to realize that they're lost and dying on the way to hell, that they are without Christ, they're without hope, and that if they die without Christ, without hope, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire, separated from God for all of eternity, in torment and punishment. And they need to hear the message that they need to turn unto the Lord, they need to repent, they need to acknowledge they're a sinner before holy God, and acknowledge you as have a change of mind about who God is, a change of mind about what they are, and acknowledge him as their saviour, and by faith trust him and be gloriously saved. That's the same message that needs to be preached today. But it's true for you and I as believers. You and I need to be continually reminded to turn unto the Lord, that when times are tough, turn unto him. When, when we face those trials of life, we turn to him. That when you and I find the obstacles in the road, we turn to him. That you and I continually turn unto the Lord. That we trust him in the midst of all things. That we turn to him because we know when we turn to him, he will turn unto us. People need to see their sin and turn to God confessing their sin. Mankind needs to see their plight to realize the dire consequence of rejecting Jesus Christ as their saviour. But they won't know their dire situation. They won't turn to God. They won't be saved unless we reach them. Unless we preach Christ unto them. So told in Romans, how shall they hear without... A preacher, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But how shall they hear without a preacher? How is the unsaved world to know that there are dire consequences if they don't turn to God unless you and I tell them of those dire consequences? Unless you and I preach Christ unto them. As believers, there is a need to continue reminded of the need to turn to the Lord daily so that you and I might keep short accounts with God and receive the blessing that you and I need to remember 1 John 1, 9. We need to confess our sins under him because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse them all in righteousness. We need to remember to confess our sins. Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 5 goes on to say this, Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? He asks the question, what did all this disobedience get your fathers? What did all this failure to repent get your fathers? 
I mean, look at the history. Do you think the course of action that you're on right now of not turning unto me is a smart course of action? Look at the past, look at what happened, and tell me where your fathers are. Tell me what was the consequence of their disobedience. Same as 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These were done for our example, for our, our understanding that we might learn. Look at history, look at the past, look at what the consequence of disobeying God is and tell me whether it's worth the effort of disobeying him. What success did they experience because they resisted God? Where are they now? Where are your fathers now? They're not in the land because many of them have died out. They spent years in captivity and now they're dead. Was disobedience worth the price? Was disobedience worth the consequence? The second part of that verse 5 says, And the prophets, do they live forever? Some Jewish writers indicate phrase 2, And the prophets, do they live forever? Is a sarcastic reply from the people. They too share in the sorrow of the nation. They too have passed away. Where are the fathers? Where are your fathers? They're dead. Where are the prophets? They're dead. It's the consequence of disobeying him. And if you and I look at history, and you and I look at the past, then you and I realize that from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, that the best course of action for any of us is obedience. That even in the midst of the worst trials, in the midst of difficult times, the midst of obstacles in the road, when things don't seem to be going the way that we plan them to go, in the midst of all that, the only sensible course of action is to turn unto God. For where else is there to turn? The consequences aren't worth the price. Better we turn to God. prophet replies to verse 5 and verse 6 by saying this or the Lord replies he says this for my words God speaking but my words and my statutes which are commanded my servants the prophets did they now take hold of your fathers and they returned and said like as the father uh, as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings so hath he dealt with us God says through Zechariah that the prophets were God's mouthpieces and they'd preached the word. The words went forth, the statutes went forth, the commandments uh, God had commanded his servants, his prophets. Didn't they not take hold of your fathers? God's mouthpieces were but men and have died but the words and the statutes of God are still standing it's true that everything else is gone they've been spent 70 years in captivity the prophets are gone the people are gone what's now is a new generation but one thing has remained true through it all the commandments and the statutes the word of God is still true see the remembrance of the punishment was intended to teach them and to teach their children and their grandchildren not to provoke the Lord to anger and to point out that the message of God that was proclaimed by his servants of the past was unchangeable in its nature. Men can try to escape from his, this message, but they can't because God's word is powerful. And it's true no matter what men may think or what men may say about his word, God's word is powerful. Isn't that what Hebrews 4.12 tells us? The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two edges of sword. Dividing to the, even to the very thoughts 
of the heart, intents of the heart. Divided the soul and the spirit. God's word is quick and powerful. It's the most powerful tool at our disposal, the word of God. God's word is so powerful that the words took hold of the people and overtook them. So he says in verse 6, But my words and my statutes which are commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. In other words, God made some promises to them. If you obey me, this is what will happen. If you disobey me, this is what will happen. If you do not turn unto me, you will go into captivity. If you do not turn unto me, I will see to it that the heathen nation comes and takes you away into Babylon for 70 years. Isn't that what happened? Didn't the word of God and the statutes of God overtake the fathers? It did. They couldn't resist the word of God. They rebelled against God's word. They rebelled against his statutes. But in the end, God's word overtook them. You see, God's word will always come to pass regardless of what you and I think. You and I can't avoid it. If God said it, that settles it. And it doesn't matter what you and I think about it. If God says, do this, and I'll bless you, and you and I refuse to do it, then don't expect a blessing. It's as simple as that. Because God's word will overtake us. We can't hold it back. If God has proclaimed it to be true, it will happen when God determines it should happen. We can't stop the rapture from happening when God wants it to happen. You and I can't withhold and hold back the tide of wickedness that's leading up to the time of the tribulation, the time prior to which we will be raptured. We can't do anything to hold that back. It will happen. God's word will overtake us. <coughs> because God's will will be done. God's word got hold of them. When fleeing from the Lord in hatred and rebellion, the men... When they were caught, had to confess the Lord that he dealt fairly with them, according to our ways and according to our doings, so he dealt with us. They had to admit in the end that God was just and fair. It's going to happen for those who reject Jesus Christ their Savior. When they stand before the great white throne, they will have to acknowledge before a holy God that God is just and fair in his dealings with them, and when they're cast out into eternal damnation and eternal punishment, they will be there because they're there justly and they will know it because they rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see, God will always render unto us a just recompense of reward. The Lord wanted them to remember that his ways are always the same. Turn to me, and I'll turn to you. Turn from me, and you'll receive the judgment that is due for disobedience. The prophet, in essence, says, men may come and go, but the Lord and his word never changes. Other men would learn to distinguish between the frailty and weakness of the best of God's messages and the eternal character of the message. Other men would take note that God always carries out his threats as well as his promises. Other men would be wise in this matter. Go with me to one last verse. Jeremiah, please. As we wrap this up, Jeremiah chapter 13, please. Jeremiah chapter 13. And verse 15. Hear ye and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before his cause, before he caused darkness 
before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains and while you look for light he turn it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness but if ye will not hear it my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride and my eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive hear ye and give ear and be not proud oh that we would take heed to God's word and we take God's word seriously today just like in any time men need to repent they need to take heed to God's word let's make sure that we as believers take heed to the word of God and that you and I keep short accounts with God that you and I daily confess our sins so that he might faithfully and justly forgive our sins let's keep our right hearts right before him and then let's look for opportunity to share the glorious message of salvation with the lost and known world and let's pray that they will indeed turn unto the Lord before it's eternally too late let's learn from the past and let's walk daily with our God let's pray gracious Father we thank you for your word tonight we thank you for the challenge from the book of Zechariah to remember history and learn from history and realize Father God that the best place to stand is in obedience to you Lord, help us to turn unto you daily. May we then seek opportunity to preach the gospel, to challenge others to turn to God, that they might be saved. Commend your word to our hearts tonight. Help us to remember that what's needed for spiritual blessing is that we repent and we heed the warning. May we do this to your glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing in closing, not the hymn on the board. We're going to sing in closing instead, hymn number 485. Revive us again. 485.